Titled. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. On the 7th of February, 2008. And uh, I should just mention here, I had a phone in there. I don't have a long-distance plan, so during the first break, maybe the station can call me back. But this world is rampaging on in a, a very planned direction it's something on the scale of a world war a war on the public takes an awful lot of planning in advance before you could even start the paperwork stages never mind implementing worldwide martial law a worldwide IDing of everyone and of monitoring of everybody on the planet what they're buying spending who they're talking to what they're saying where they're going, where they've been, who they talked to when they were there, what they talked about, and all the way down to the usual intergenerational monitoring where they're teaching and raising the young generation to put all their information out for everyone to see the dream of every tyrant done through history has materialized because people fought wars to try and gain some privacy in times gone by. Now, they've been trained to put everything up there. Everybody, every little youngster wants to be a star, just like the reality shows they watch. And they put everything up there. They're encouraged to get into their community and put all their personal information up for everyone to see. And it's not for everyone really to see. It's for the authorities to see. As I say, the dream of tyrants has materialized. So a generation is growing up with no concept whatsoever, whatsoever of personal privacy or even the value of it. They have no idea of the value of it. That is incredible. Yet it's happening. It's being promoted from the top down, as always. And they're going along with it because the people mimic what they see on television. And on television, uh, you see all these little reality shows and very young people uh, doing the immature stuff that all young people do. have all been there. And they want to be a star. Nothing to hide. And shortly, that will be the big excuse that's given when you don't put out your information for everyone to see. You're anti-social. You've got something to hide. As I say, this did not take, take place spontaneously by any big company, private company, or Microsoft or anybody else to promote this. This took the combination of the true government, the rules as through the new feudal system of international corporations, as Professor Carroll quickly talked about. That's how it's been done. Now, in The Guardian in Britain, they, they actually came up with this this comment, this little talk about how bad it is in Britain because they always see it first there before you see it in the US and Canada. We're not far behind them, only really months now. That's how, how close it used to be years, but now it's, it's a matter of months. And this is, it says Britain is slithering down the road toward a police state. The pretense of oversight has been ripped aside by the can bugging affair. This was a 
a police bugging affair that happened recently. The security apparatus has become a law unto itself. By Simon Jenkins, Wednesday, the February the 6th, 2008, The Guardian. It says the machine is out of control. Personal surveillance in Britain is so extensive that no democratic oversight is remotely plausible. That's, see, there, that's, he's telling you the truth right off the bat. He isn't going to mess around here. This, you, you can't have demo, uh, democratic oversight uh, with all of the security intrusions we have today. Some 800 organizations, including the police, the revenue, local and central government, demanded and almost always got 253,000 intrusions on citizen privacy in the last recorded year. That's for getting warrants to do it in 2006. This is way beyond that of any other country in the free world. The Sadiq Khan affair has killed stone dead the thesis beloved of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown that any accretion of power to the state is sustainable because ministers are in control. Where this applies to phone tapping, bugging devices, ID cards, National Health Service records, child care computer systems, Video surveillance or detention without a trial, it's simply a lie. Nobody can control this torrent of intrusion. Nobody can oversee a burst dam. And this is all the way it really is. Can, an MP, Member of Parliament and Government Whip, was allegedly targeted by the police for having been a civil rights lawyer and thus a nuisance, though the recording of his meetings with a constituent in prison was supposedly directed at the inmate. Either way, the bugging destroyed the Wilson Doctrine that MPs cannot be bugged. They used to have some kind of uh, waiver for MPs. It appears that they, they can if ministers or the police so decide. Security machismo claims that in the age of terrorism, real men bug everyone and everything. The former Flying Squad chief and BBC dial-a-quote John O'Connor implied this week that it would be negligent of the police not to bug anyone they, repeat, they thought a threat. That's for like Scotland Yard. The Blair thesis that 9-11 changes everything has been a green light to every security consultant, surveillance salesman, and labor ministers wanting to flex his or her muscles in the tabloids. Years ago, a lawyer gave me unassailable evidence that a call with a client had been tapped by the police and handed to the prosecution. Such tapping allegedly required a personal warrant from the Home Secretary, who then tackled on the subject, flatly denied it, could have happened without his approval, which he would never give in such a case. I checked back with the police chief, who roared with laughter. He said the Home Secretary is absolutely right. He must authorize all taps sent to him for authorization, but not, of course, the rest. Orwell's cuttlefish were squirting ink. The grim reality of the past week alone is that it has been has seen a substantial section of the British establishment allowing itself to believe that private dealings between lawyer and client and between members of parliament and constituent should no longer be considered immune from state surveillance. A cardinal principle of a free democracy is thus coolly abandoned. It is not a victory for national security. It is a victory for terrorism. And ain't that the truth? And it's coming everywhere. Why has it been allowed 
to happen is because we never had a real democracy. We had a super government already in control over at least all of the Western world since about the 19, early 1950s onwards. Because when the big boys brought in the British MI6 and helped create the CIA, that was the beginning of a super government that would be unaccountable to the general public for safety's reasons you understand and for security reasons you understand and they've been very very busy since members of parliament can't even get answers from these particular agencies and they have incredible budgeting coming from all various directions but it's also funneled through the big foundations to them for all their other projects that don't go through the regular books the foundations work hand in glove with MI6 and the CIA. They have done for donkey's years. And the boys who staff the big foundations are the same boys from the same schools that staff the CIA. Quite simple. Uh, no big mystery about it whatsoever. We're under totalitarianism, and we're just starting to see the effects of it. They've been very, very clever because they hire thousands of some of the best minds, the best devious minds, to make sure that everything comes down with precise military strategy, step by step. They don't allow us to see a hole in the fence, the sheep might run out, and so we're kept grazing as they close in all of these steps. It's just amazing to watch it happen, and how the public don't react, really don't react to it, because the survival of capabilities have been pretty well destroyed through various means, although much of it has to do, to do with the indoctrination, the indoctrination of grown up, having this continuous a form of perpetual education, as Huxley called it. He wasn't talking about night school and upgrading at night school. He was talking about perpetual upgrading uh, right through your whole life, constant learning, meaning indoctrination, constant indoctrination. And it comes primarily from that one-eyed monster called television, where people that you've grown up with are kept till they're falling off the, the chairs or so darned old because you've grown up with them and daddy will tell you the news every night. He'll tell you what you should know. And Daddy obviously uh, wouldn't hide anything from you. He stares right at you from that tube. He's in your house every day, looking right at you. You can trust Daddy. And that's why they're paid such incredibly big wages for reading off a dummy board in front of them, pretending uh, that they made up the news for you. They're believable. That's why they're paid such big bucks. And even the big exposés that some of the teams used to do that got the public interested uh, when they were going after uh, little criminals or an occasional uh, lesser white-collared crime character was meant to fluff you because they never went after the big boys. In fact, it's quite interesting to see that most of those people who do those particular exposé shows uh, belong to the CIA themselves. And they also have shares in the biggest newspapers in the country. Now I think we have a caller already. Um, is it Eric from Oregon? You there? I wanted to tell you that you've made an enormous impact on my the way I view the world, and I, I appreciate that a lot. 
Um, there are a couple topics, though, that I kind of have am taking your word on things, and I'm not comfortable with that. I'd like to know more about the source for them, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. One of them is um, Arthur Kessler. See, I often find myself in debates with people about vaccines, and my yeah. point of view is that the thimerosal is not the real problem. It's the vaccine itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I read Ghost in the Machine hoping to find stuff about the United Nations and his work there creating lobotomies in the vaccines themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's not in that book, and I just wonder where, where I would go to find out more about that. He does mention some of that, and he doesn't come out and tell you the exact thing. He gives you the clues you're supposed to think. And in the very last chapter, he tells you why he's all for uh, this need to basically lobotomize everyone for world peace in the, in the last chapter itself. Yeah, he, he makes the point that we're, uh, you know, the modern mind is an evolutionary aberration, yeah. which you and I both know is an absurd point of view. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's also come out now in, in uh, another book I will be reading on the air, parts from it soon, there's now declassified information. It was also given to an agent to, to even declassify it and give them the first uh, dibs at it of all the people who worked for MI6, and Kessler was one of them. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to know more about that. Another topic was uh, property taxes and the Council on Foreign Relations. Mm -hmm. How would I track down their involvement in property taxes across the United States? You have to go through uh, and collect what you can get. They're public additions of... Uh, the, the Council on Foreign Relations that do annual, at least do annual editions of all their meetings and take the best stuff out of their magazines and put them in books. You'll have to do the work. I do have stacks of them here. But uh, in there, they, they uh, proudly admitted that they were the ones who brought forth that in the U.S. and in Britain at the same time. Okay, and then the last one, you, you mentioned uh, that some recently declassified information showed that the MI6 and the CIA were involved almost completely in culture creation since the 1950s. That's the book I'm talking about, yeah. I will be reading from that book when I'm ready, okay? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Okay, thank you very much, Alan. Okay. Yeah, because um, generally 50 years after the start of something, they'll tell you the truth. Because no one cares, another generation grows up in its old, old history, like the Romans, to them. I'll be back with more after the following messages. Great host. Great topics, brief speech at its best. This is We the People Radio Network. Hi, folks. Alan Watt back with cutting through the matrix and I'm going to go on to another topic now this topic is uh, from the Washington Post and it's from the staff writer Ellen Nakashima 
Thursday, February the 7th, 2008. This is on page A01. It says, Nabila Mango, a therapist and U.S. citizen who's lived in the country since 1965, just flown in from Jordan last December when she said she was detained at customs and her cell phone was taken from her purse. Her daughter, waiting outside San Francisco International Airport, tried repeatedly to call her during the hour and a half she was questioned, but after her phone was returned, she saw that records of her daughter's calls had been erased. A few months earlier, in the same airport, a tech engineer returning from a business trip to London objected when a federal agent asked him to type his password into his laptop computer. This laptop doesn't belong to me, he remembers protesting, it belongs to the company. Eventually, he agreed to log on and stood by as the officer copied the websites he had visited, said the engineer, a U.S. citizen who spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of calling attention to himself. Great how everyone's terrified nowadays, isn't it? Maria Yudi, a marketing executive with a global travel, travel management firm in Bethesda, said her company laptop was seized by a federal agent as she was flying from Dulles International Airport to London in December 2006. Yudi, a British citizen, said the agent told her he had security concern with her. I was basically given the option of handing over my laptop or not getting on the flight, she said. The seizure of electronics at U.S. borders has prompted protests from travelers who say they now weigh the risk of traveling with sensitive or personal information on their laptops, cameras, or cell phones. In some cases, companies have altered their policies to require employees to safeguard corporate secrets by clearing laptop hard drives before international travel. Today, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and Asian Law Caucus, two civil liberties groups in San Francisco, plan to file a lawsuit to force the government to disclose its policies on border searches, including which rules govern the seizing and copying of the contents of electronic devices. They also want to know the boundaries for asking travelers about their political views, religious practices, and other activities potentially protected by the First Amendment. The question of whether border agents have a right to search electronic devices at all without suspicion of a crime, is already under review in the federal courts. Well, wait on uh, until you perish. The lawsuit was inspired by two dozen cases, 15 of which involved searches of cell phones, laptops, MP3 players, and other electronics, probably a hearing aid as well. Almost all involved travelers of Muslim, Middle Eastern, or Southern Asian background, many of whom, including Mango and the tech engineer, said they're concerned they were singled out because of racial or religious profiling. And, of course, that will be denied, denied and denied forever and ever. They'll never admit to that, even though it's obvious. A U.S. Customs and Border Protection spokeswoman, this is a PR person, see if spokeswoman is a PR, public relations, they're taught to talk around things. Lynn Hollinger said officers do not engage in racial profiling in any way, shape, or form. Oh, no. She said there is not CB, CBP's intent to subject travelers to unwarranted scrutiny and that a laptop may be seized if it contains information possibly tied to terrorism, narcotics, smuggling, child pornography, or other criminal activity. Huh. Now, how would they know that unless they did open it up and go into it in the first place? That kind of negates the whole thing. The reason for a search is not always made clear. The Association of Corporate Travel Executives which represents 2,500 business execs in the United States and abroad, said 
executive director of ACTE. Gurley said none of the travellers who have complained to the ACTE raised concern about the racial or ethnic profiling. Gurley said none of the travellers were charged with a crime. And it goes on and on and on, and this stuff is just getting so common uh, that most people will just wander over it now because we're getting, we're getting anaesthetized to these ridiculous searches, which really, by the way, are just starting to warm up. Just starting to warm up because eventually these security companies will want to come in and install. I'm not kidding about this, cameras in your home. There was even articles, oh, five, six, maybe even ten years ago, uh, from the, the various professions of psychiatry and psychology, some of their big magazines, uh, talking about the need to watch everyone in their own home because technically everyone was mentally ill. You're mentally ill if you believe in families, religions, and, and all that old-fashioned stuff. So they're on a roll now, and they will eventually put cameras in your home. Big Brother, the big brother of George Orwell, is alive and well, and he's starting to make his face shown to the general public. He's got lots of goons to serve him. We, we ourselves breed the goons, and the goons are given their values by the state, as Mr. Russell said. Uh, you can tell what kind of values they've got, just watch it, what they actually look at with their video games, what they play with, and what they're being taught in school. What they're being taught in school is... If you want to get on the world, join the winning side. Who's the winning side? Well, look at the video games. as the guy on steroids and the black uniform and the biggest gun. That's who's on the winning side, and that's what they're being taught to do. It's quite phenomenal to know what's coming, and it's another thing to see coming down. And when it's coming down, most of the public, the ones that could never understand you before years ago when you were warning them, go into a sort of limbo state, a click mode like a robot, because they still want to believe that when they turn on their television and their favorite shows are on, then the world must be okay. It must be okay. We are going into, as that first Guardian article I read says, it's a, it's a state where there are too many, too many agencies into all of our affairs now that no one can oversee it is too huge, too massive. But that was the plan a long time ago in the first place. That was the plan. Now, there's that one of the callers was saying a little while ago there about the mercury being a bit of a red herring. It is and it isn't. The mercury is not good for you. Uh, look at all the data they had because they used it to treat syphilis in the late 1800s, early 1900s. They knew the effects of it there, but it's also true. Yeah, it, it throws off you looking at what's in the vaccine itself. Nobody really knows. Most doctors don't even have the facilities to examine that vaccine. It's based on faith. We've been trained to allow stuff to be injected right into us on faith, absolute faith. And one of the other characters who did mention that, and I read it on the air from his book uh, a few weeks ago, was Lord Bertrand Russell, when he said they would also use the needle. That's an inoculation, an injection. Many of them have talked about this, and including uh, you'll find Charles Galton Darwin in the next million years. And you can see the effects all around you of what they've actually done. 
whenever a child gets its early inoculations, the doctor will tell the parent, take them home, they might have a fever for a couple of days and it will leave them. You'll find that the child, the baby, has a fever all right and its, its head is burning up. Well, heat means inflammation. Inflammation has dead tissue, living tissue, it has white blood cells all fighting together. And so wherever the site of inflammation is, is where the damage is done. That's in the, the baby's brain, folks. That's called lobotomy. I'll be back with more after the following messages. Uh, in our everyday activities 
they can use the rest of it to program you while you're, you think you're having a walk in the country. You could actually be working in a factory. You won't ever, you'll never know. <laughs> just like the uh, just like the Matrix pods, I guess. Then Ab- like absolutely. That. That's right. The Pentagon, remember, has this virtual world already set up with millions yeah, of us in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about because uh, the developers of this program right now, it's, it's kind of like a war game uh, situation where they can plug in different factors like pulling a water supply or a food famine and they can able to uh, tell how certain countries would react uh, using these nodes that represent, you know, one node represents 100 person, and the people that mm-hmm. are running this say that they want it down to one node representing one person, and the only way that's they right. can do that is a brain chip or a microchip. Uh, that's correct. And they do have uh, individual nodes uh, for, for the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Britain's doing the same thing. They're collecting all the data over the years and putting it into your node to try and get a complete personality profile on you and how you would react, as you say, to specific situations under stress. Yeah. Exactly, and they use they use the MySpace sites and they use all those uh, social networking sites to gather information about you with your with your web search log, so they can make this this complex personality matrix of you, so they can know how you're going to react with with certain stressors and stimuli. Just like that's that. exactly that's exactly Just it. Like the, uh, the England Department of Defense report where they talk about flash mobs and stuff like that, it all ties in. Absolutely. It all ties in. It is a military uh, scenario here. It's a military uh, agenda. And uh, the only way they can be absolutely sure is to have everyone uh, uh, predictable. And the only way to be predictable is to have basically their whole data on their, their sites there to see how you would respond or a simulation of you would respond in such and such a situation. And... Um, uh, it, 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 this is incredible, really, when you think about it. Your, big, your biggest war department has been doing this for years on every citizen without their knowledge. And, and most folk don't care. And once again, all these big uh, firms, Microsoft, etc., and the MySpace and all these organizations, the new feudal system is encouraging youngsters. Uh, it's on the news recently here in Canada. They're encouraging them to, to come into their own little community and put even your diaries up on the internet for everyone to see quite amazing stuff from the top isn't it it really is i mean it's a, it's a shame that people are going to go willingly into this kind of this 3d world just to escape you know the madness that's going on outside but i just wanted to bring that up to your listeners check out this indian world system at the dod program and i'll get off the line and let you get to the next caller and thanks for calling all right thanks Alan. bye so that's true enough. I mean, it's just, uh, just amazing to... Re- you see, we're run by think tanks. Think tanks look to the future. They project the future, the future they want to bring about. And they can employ through the institutions, these big foundations, maybe three generations of employees all working on the same problem and how to overcome it because they have their mandate. It's quite simple. We think in a short-term strategy, the foundations are there for centuries with certain mandates. So it's no big deal at all to work out something over two, three generations, bring it to fruition, knowing, and even going over all the counters that will come back from the public and, and projecting what counters will come and how to overcome them. Like a chess game that hasn't even started on the public, they've already looked at all the possible comebacks and moves. So, and they also train leaders to step out at the right time 
and guide the sheep in, along in circles. That's old, old stuff. Now, here's a, a little piece here interesting about to travel now for U.S. citizens, travel abroad. And it's from a blog. It's the Practical Nomad, quite interesting. Edward Hasbrook's blog. That's H-A-S-B-R-O-U-C-K apostrophe S. Harbrook's blog. And it's from Friday the 25th, 2008, January 20, 2008. Under new regulations and procedures announced to take effect over the next month, citizens of the USA will, for the first time, be required to obtain USA government permission in order to return home to their own country from abroad or from anywhere else in the world by air or sea or land. On no other aspect of the right to travel is international law more clear than on the right of return to the country of one's own citizenship. No one shall be arbitrarily deprived of the right to enter his own country. The new regulations are a flagrant violation of the obligations of the USA as a party to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and other international human rights treaties, as well as a violation of the constitutional duty of the USA government to treat such treaties as the highest law of the land. It's to be hoped that some civil liberties or human rights organizations or individual will go to court before the end of this month to enjoin the government from putting these rules and procedures into effect, and that citizens will assert their rights by attempting to cross borders without papers and suing these goons from the USA Department of Homeland Security who try to stop them. But if that doesn't happen, here's what the DHS has promulgated as final rules and procedures. As I've noted previously, the so-called international APIS final rules effective 19 February 2008 require all travelers to or from or via the U.S. by air to obtain two forms of government permission to travel. One is a passport and two is a clear message from the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, authorizing the airline to allow the specific person to board the specific flight or ship. One might argue that a passport is merely a travel document not a form of permission, but that would be wrong because nothing in the law or the regulations for passport issuance, which were revised in November 2007, guarantees anyone a right to a passport. It is, in effect, a travel permit. See, here's the bottom line. We're also used to hearing the words, and this guy's right on with this. Your passport isn't a right to, to travel. It's, in fact, a permit. It's a permit, which they will either permit or dismiss issued at the government's discretion. The individualized per-flight advance clearance message is quite unambiguously a permission to travel requirement. This international APIS rule, as originally promulgated in August 2007, applied only to air and sea travel, so it might have allowed for those with enough time and money, at least a theoretical possibility, if the U.S. wouldn't give them permission to come home, they could fly to Canada or Mexico and return from their by land. Back with more from this blog after the following messages. News, politics, cover-ups, government corruption. You're listening to We the People Radio Network. WTPRN.
I'm Alan Watt. And we're cutting through the matrix while the whole world is sleeping, unfortunately, in La La Land, in television land, in fun land, while big things are really happening in the real world. And reading from a blog here, which I'll continue a little bit more of, in fact, because it's quite good. And this fellow was talking about this right to come back into the country uh, idea from the Department of Homeland Security, which is now in effect or is coming into effect. And it said here, too, uh, that uh, it may have allowed for those with enough time and money at least a theoretical possibility that if the USA wouldn't give them permission to come home, they could fly to Canada or Mexico and return to the USA from there by land. In practice, that might be very difficult because Canada has been barring passage to people on the USA no-fly list, and most flights between Europe and Mexico overfly the USA, and thus are subject to USA jurisdiction and the APIS rules. But there are some very roundabout and expensive routes from Europe or Africa to Mexico by way of South America. The Department of Homeland Security has proposed that the Western Hemisphere Travel Initiative, they love these names, WHTI, the rules that are already, or purport to be already, require passports for USA citizens for air travel between Mexico, Canada, and the USA be extended to those crossing USA borders by land and sea. But that portion of the WHTI rulemaking proposals remains pending, with no final rules yet published. Well, we'll go through, I can tell you that. Even this narrow loophole for return to the USA without government permission will apparently be closed, however, by new procedures announced by the Department of Homeland Security in a notice. They're giving you a notice now. That's the old maritime way of doing it. Published in the, the, the Federal Register on 21st December 2007. And it says here that the CBP, the DHS Customs and Border Protection Division, is now amending its field instructions to direct CBP of officers to no longer generally accept oral declarations as sufficient proof of citizenship and instead require documents that evidence identity and citizenship from U.S., Canadian, and Bermudian citizens entering the U.S. at land and sea ports of entry beginning on January 31, 2008. A person claiming U.S., Canadian, or Bermudian citizenship must establish that fact to the examining CBP officer's satisfaction by presenting a citizenship document such as birth certificate as well as a government-issued photo identification documents. The Federal Register notice acknowledges that the WHTI proposed rules to require passports for land border crossings have not been finalized. That's a joke. It has really. But the notice claims that the new document requirement is separate from WHTI, is not a rule, and is yet not subject to any of the same procedural requirements. So it goes on and on and on. It's quite a good article. People should look it up. And, and then go on from there and check up the clear chip pass. They call it the clear pass. That's another thing they came out with, too. Fresh a really goody two-shoes citizen, the kind that does everything they're told and can bend and touch their toes when they're asked to. Uh, you can get a clear pass, which is a little chip embedded in a, a card-sized plastic, clear plastic, uh, which means that you're number one do-gooder, and you can buy very, very well, and whenever you're, you're told to do it. You'll find a lot of people will go for this, unfortunately, 
And under this lovely new democracy symbol they keep flashing around, that means the will of the majority will force the minority along with it. That's why they give you democracy. And the full knowledge that the masses will always do what they're told and force the minority along. And they'll say to you, what's your problem? No one else is complaining. That's what you hear in democracy. That's what it's all about. So we're getting locked down into this brave new world where where only those who are authorized to travel and eventually be for, for specific work abroad, authorized work abroad where they need certain people, will come into play. Uh, that was also from Jack Satali's Millennium. He said the next boat people will be trying to leave America looking for work abroad, but he also said there would be a, a higher bureaucratic class, the new nomads who will serve the world system, and they'll simply move from city to city across the planet. No one will, will really have a permanent home in this brave new world at that particular level. The world will be their home, and wherever they are at that moment will be their home. But for the rest, it's not very good news as we go through this great upheaval towards the brave new world. I can remember when I was really young reading some of these books, I mean really young, and uh, I used to go spend hours in the, the adult library pouring through books on uh, the millennium, something I kept talking about when I was in primary school, and uh, I wanted to find out what it meant, and I looked at it from from books from the 1900s onwards and talking about this great big thing that was to happen, happen around the millennium. Poems were written about them. Philosophers discussed the, uh, the millennium and uh, how great portents would happen uh, around that period of massive change, massive change, which tells us there were certain ones in the know to do with this massive change. And they were talking about a completely new way of organizing everyone on the planet into a new type of society. Some of them hinted at the, at the fact they would have to destroy all the old system, including the family. Beginning in the late 1800s, they were writing this kind of stuff. But at the beginning of the 1900s, they were coming out with other parts of the agenda, and especially what, noted, what I noticed over and over from so many of these, these bigwigs at the time, was a term that it have service to to the world service world service that was going to be a, a preliminary uh, necessity to belong to this new world citizenship association that was to come up down the road a hundred years from then, which is here now, and it's all coming into play. And they also said that they would under the guise of bringing up different factions of society that had been on the fringe or the fringes of society, those who didn't come into the old established uh, accepted uh, families and so on, they'd bring them up to a certain status and give them power. But behind all that wasn't the, the, the need to help those particular minorities. It was to help destroy any idea of the old, what was normal at one time. So all the old normals had to be destroyed, the new introduced until we were all bewildered. Because behind it all, there was this big thing called science. The big boys had such faith, incredible faith in the sciences, that they were absolutely positive. They could pull 
all of their agenda off. Which also leads me, and I was led me even then to think that Huxley's Brave New World, written in the 1930s, before they supposedly discovered the genes, they were only suspect at the time, supposedly. They knew all of this stuff was coming down the pike because they'd already done all that stuff. There's no way you could guess the future uh, as, as accurately as that uh, through a form of science fiction. And Huxley, going through his history and his associates and his family, were not into fiction. They were into being movers and shakers for the big, powerful ruling establishments of London, England. And yet he was able to talk about genetic manipulations and the creation of new kinds of people for specific tasks. Ideal design. Another meaning of ID. And that would be impossible, absolutely impossible for a sci-fi writer. Just as impossible as it was for Francis Bacon to write The New Atlantis supposedly in the late 1500s, published in 1602, uh, talking about this big, big place in the West, which was obviously America, uh, that would be uh, Solomon's Isle, or Salomon's Isle, as he called it, wise King Solomon, where uh, a team, a secret team of rulers would live uh, under the ground, under the ground or inside mountains and run the country. And he talked about laboratories underground, that this particular visitor is shown in the Bacon story, where they could grow any kind of creature. And from scratch, they could make it the way they design it, the way they wish to, knowing it would turn out perfectly well. In other words, it wasn't an experiment being done before. And any kind of vegetable as well, or combination of vegetables into one. And even a machine that could manipulate the weather and cause hurricanes and storms. Now, that was written in the days of wind and sail and horses and carriages. How do you think he managed to come up with those ideas? Back with more after the following messages.